I'll show you politics in America. Here it is, right here. I think the puppet on the right shares my beliefs. I think the puppet on the left is more to my liking. Hey, wait a minute. There's one guy holding up both puppets. Shut up. Go back to bed, America. Your government is in control. Read my lips. Just send your cash. There has never been so many lies, so much deception. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. (laughs) Please clap. It's time for the Mike Madison Show, a new breed of conservative talk. Now, here's your host, Mike Madison. Showtime! All right, good morning. Welcome to the Mike Madison Show here at 103.9 WYAB. I am your host, Mike Madison, here 9 to 10 a.m. on Wednesdays and Thursdays. My little carved out niche of Real Freedom Radio. Uh, Let's get things kicked off today with a couple of quotes of the day. You'd think I would be wise enough to pull these up before I actually turn the mic on. I was not, but uh, I'm going to pay a little bit of homage to... Uh, William Strauss and Neil Howe, they are the authors of The Fourth Turning. I'm into this book. It's one of those I need to have read it a long time ago. There's, it's so often quoted for people like myself who are economics nerds. But if you're not familiar with The Fourth Turning, it is about the fact that about every 80 years, there's big upheaval in society as generations mature, generations change, financial conditions and if you look at the you look at the history of the United States about every 80 years we have something pretty pretty severe pop off and we are now in one that is supposed to end I think uh, 2033 2035 maybe somewhere in that area so just hang on <laughs> it will end and at the end of these things is a bit of a rebirth that does seem a little long to us now but I got to tell you I'm a middle-aged man time goes by fast but uh, Neil Howe is not, has got another book out now, too. I guess it's with William Strauss, the authors of The Fourth Turning, and their new book is The Fourth Turning Is Now, I believe, is what, they, is what it's uh, titled. First quote of the day from them in the book, The Fourth Turning, it says, quote, We cannot stop the seasons of history, but we can prepare for them. I've told you, we're going to talk a, lot, a little bit about the, the economy today, and uh, I've told you. If you know what's going on, if you prepare for it correctly, this is a time where people make vast fortunes. When there's blood in the streets, those who keep their wits about them can emerge victorious. So keep that in mind. This is not a doom and gloom show. This is just imploring people to take the red pill and understand what's actually going on. Now, this was an interesting one. This is William Strauss from The Fourth Turning, What Cycles of History Tell Us About America's Next Rendezvous with History, excuse me, with Destiny. (laughs) This one may be not so optimistic. Uh, Quote, To fix crime, we have to fix the family. But before we do that, we have to fix welfare. And that means fixing our budget. And that means fixing our civic spirit. But we can't do that without fixing moral standards. And that means fixing schools and churches. And that means fixing the inner cities. And that's impossible unless we fix crime. (laughs) So, (laughs) a little bit of work to be done ahead of us, I guess. Uh, some listeners now I'm, I'm proclaimed to be a libertarian. It's interesting to me. Some listeners have said they get tired of hearing, 
me talk about libertarianism or libertarians in general, which I got to tell you, I just find kind of fascinating. These are the same people. Many of them have been consumers of conservative talk radio, starting with Rush and Shudder the Thought, Sean Hannity. Anyway, they've been listening to the same stuff about Republicans versus Democrats for 30 years. Not tired of that. (laughs) <laughs> but they, they get tired of me injecting my my couple hours of week where I give you the libertarian perspective on things. But uh, I don't know why you're not sick of the other. But I just find the shifts that are happening in our society politically pretty interesting. As an observer, you can find more interesting things because you don't have to fight for one side or the other. That's got to be exhausting. Uh, but But a tweet came out from a guy named Ron Rule. He, his bio on Twitter says, former CEO at As Seen on TV, Time Person of the Year, 2006. I have not fact-checked that. I don't know if that's the case. He goes on to say, Jeep fanatic and fiery but mostly peaceful libertarian. Uh, I like it. He's got a black flag next to his name on Twitter. I don't know what that means, but I like it. But he tweeted this out. He said, let's do some math. Realistically, there are about 4 million or so libertarians. He said, let's double that to be generous. There were 159 million votes cast in the last election. Best case scenario, with a generous margin of error and 100% participation, a libertarian will get 5% of the vote. He goes on to say it's mathematically impossible for the LP to win the nation, period. It isn't about awareness or changing minds or, quote, waking people up, unquote, to our philosophy. They're aware. They simply don't agree. We are a minority. Now, the rest of this message that he puts out is not just defeatist. It's it's very common sense stuff. Uh, The rest of his message is this is why libertarians need to start focusing in on their own communities, starting at the local level. We saw how important that was during COVID that you really understand who your sheriff is, what they will enforce, who's running your school boards, who the police chief is, who your mayor is. Those things really mattered. You remember when uh, George Flagg over in Vicksburg clutched his pearls and started implementing lockdowns and uh, curfews for everybody during COVID? And so it's very important at the local level. That's really where the battles can be fought because the federal government is lost right now. And if it's true that only 5% of people in the country, the most of the libertarians could ever muster is 5%, then nothing is going to change the corruption of Washington, D.C. Not Donald Trump, not Vivek Ramaswamy, not RFK Jr. It's just not going to be a top-down approach. It's got to be from the bottom up. But what I find most fascinating about that idea is, you know, in many countries around the world, uh, parties that have been just thrown away, not talked about, small, little, inconsequential parties. In countries around the world, they will suddenly burst onto the scenes. And I wonder if we are ripe for that here in the United States, whether it's Libertarian Party or some other party, Reform Party, whatever it is, is there going to be a point in the near future where people finally, on both sides of the aisle, get so fed up, or enough people on both sides of the aisle, where some upstart party, somebody some with ways of thinking we have, most people have not even thought about yet, which is what this entire show is based on, are we approaching that point where everybody just says, we just can't do this anymore? Now, sometimes these foreign countries, countries around the world, they take a big swing, elect some brand new party, untested, untried, and it doesn't always work out so well. 
But I just find it very interesting because here's what kind of cracks me up. When people get upset with me talking about libertarians or libertarian philosophy or libertarian perspectives on things, what's interesting to me is that uh, libertarians didn't spend us into bankruptcy and sell your children into debt slavery. Libertarians didn't send tens of thousands of our troops off to die for nothing. It wasn't libertarians that set up the surveillance state you lived in. They're not the ones that caused the inflation you're currently whining about. More on that in a bit. You're not done whining. Trust me about that. Um, libertarians didn't, didn't allow gun registration and gun control laws. They didn't steal your health freedom. They didn't trap your kids in public schools. They didn't set up or fund massive socialist social programs, including Social Security and Medicare. Libertarians didn't enact taxes on everything you own and every human activity you do. Yet, for some reason, people have a very short... <laughs> they, put, they put any talk about libertarians or libertarianism or the party itself on a very short leash. They're very easy to get outraged about this, this group of people because everything I just listed to you has been brought to you by the two major parties. And they've had a hand in every single one of these things, either in setting them up, in enacting them, or in not stopping them. So what everybody's really comfortable with has given you all of the problems you have today. And the libertarians, while not responsible for any of the things I just listed, and I could spend the rest of the show listing other things, not only did they not set up these things, did they not enact these things, did they not enforce these things upon you, libertarians are actually on the sidelines screaming, don't do it, telling everybody how bad it would be. Just kind of interesting to me <laughs> that what this party... This party or this group of thinkers can arouse such consternation from people, even though they've never, they've never done anything but tell you that you should be free. That's just really kind of interesting to me. When we come back, I'm going to go for ratings gold here. we got to talk about Lizzo when we come back. I don't think I've ever said that word on this show or in my natural life, but I can't resist the one story that I ran across with, with her and then we're going to get into some economics of how is the economy going? Are we already in a recession? The government says no, but there's a statistic out there that has come out over the past couple of months that says, not yes, but hell yes. We'll do that when we come back. Stick around. really want people to understand the time and effort that I put into the, doing my little two hours a week. I'm very busy, but I make time. I, I like doing this show. It's not a, not a sacrifice, but I also want, I, I was having problems the other day with my, my recording set up. I was really popping my peas. I talked to uh, the owner of the station. He's our troubleshooter. He is the genius when it comes to the audio uh, setup stuff. And I realized I had left my pop filter uh, at home. So just to let you know how I soldier on, I, uh, <laughs> I've got one dress sock and one athletic sock that I use to put over my microphone now so that my peas don't pop like they had before. Uh, today is an athletic sock, so it's kind of a sportier version of the Mike Madison Show. Sometimes when you hear me kind of classing it up, when you feel the show is more erudite, more sophisticated. That's usually when I'm wearing a dress, or not wearing, but using a dress sock <laughs> on my 
my recording mic here. So anyway, today's a sporty day. Have fun with it. Speaking of real athletes, Lizzo. Are you familiar with Lizzo? I think everybody kind of knows her because when you see her for the first time and the name is unique and then you see her, she's the morbidly obese pop singer. I couldn't name a single song that she does. But I just saw this headline, and I'm not going to spend any time on this because I didn't even click open to the story, but the headline was funny enough. Lizzo sued for fat-shaming dancers. <laughs> yes, this is the morbidly obese singer apparently has been fat-shaming. She's getting sued by some of her dancers, which was surprising to me, number one, that what she wants her dancers to be thin so that it really highlights her obesity. Is that the thing? I, you would think if you were overweight... You would want people behind you that didn't make you look so dramatically overweight. Uh, but apparently she has been abusing her dancers. But one of the other things I thought, too, is this this is a perfect qualification. When a morbidly obese singer is fat-shaming her background dancers, this is like a resume builder for anybody for a U.S. Secretary of State. This This is where... This is where you accuse others and berate others for doing something you're horrifically guilty of. Uh, Lizzo for Secretary of State. If Biden's reelected, uh, I'm going to put that on my 2025 bingo card. Wanted to look at uh, economic stuff in a little bit because there's some big things that are happening. I don't know if you saw, but Fitch, this is the rating agency. The rating agencies, I'll just remind you that during the great financial crisis, it was found out that they basically had been bribed to to rate bonds that were very risky and falling apart, really collapsing. Uh, they kept high ratings on them, meaning that they were safe and sound, because they're paid by the big banks to do so. Banks pay a lot of money for these rating agencies to go in and rate their bonds, either AAA or AA or single A or B, triple B. There's a whole rating thing. But when a when somebody issues debt and they don't want to pay a lot of interest on that debt, they try to get a high rating, a triple A rating. That means you can charge basically the lowest, you, you can pay the lowest interest rate uh, to your creditors because they think that their money is safe there. Obviously, if you loan money to somebody and it's risky, you want at least more return, right? You're going to force them to pay you more interest to take the risk. Well, these rating agencies get paid by the banks. And if you go to Fitch or Moody's, I think S&P may do some things too, but essentially the bank goes, hey, look, you know, we're going to pay you $10 million and want you to rate these bonds for us. What do you think? You think a bank's going to come out and go, oh, these look really risky. We're going to put a triple B on it. No, that, that's junk bond. Uh, no, they're not going to do that because they want them to come back again. So they, th this is another one of the great financial scams of our country, which is the regulatory capture of these rating agencies who get paid to rate bonds. Uh, they just dropped the rating of the U.S. long bonds, treasuries, from AAA, which is laughable, meaning the most safe investment that you can find. They've dropped it to AA+, just uh, basically a, a half a letter downgrade. Now, this, again, is laughable, but it actually can have some real consequences. The last time some of our debt was downgraded like this, we ran into a bit of a problems in the bond market. It has yet to be seen exactly what will take place. But uh, that's for starters here. That's one of the little things that's resonating uh, through our economy right now. Uh, but what's really interesting to me is that, and I haven't talked about it yet, is that they reported, I believe, last week, Q2, 
meaning the second quarter GDP numbers. The government said that GDP uh, for the second quarter was above 2%. I think, what did it come in? Like 2.2 or 2.4%. Now, they just proved me wrong, right? I mean, I'm telling you that the economy is not doing great. I think we're at the verge of a financial crash, but the government comes out and says, no, things are going great. You know, I mean, there were entire years during the Trump and Obama presidencies where GDP was never over, wasn't over 2% for an entire year. Now, that, that came out a little confusing. You understand they, they annualize it. So they look at the growth from the second quarter. They quadruple it to try to figure out what growth for the entire year was. So we still don't know if the whole year will be over 2%. But anyway, I digress. It gets confusing. I'm sorry. Um, so the government says, no, we're not in a recession. Look at this. We're growing. Doesn't feel growy-ish, does it? I mean, except for inflation. One of the things... Uh, about GDP is that essentially they take all the business activity, they give you a figure, let's just say we we grew at 5% total, and then they say, well, we're going to back out inflation. And so they just use their phony inflation number. So if we had growth of 5%, and they said, yeah, but inflation was 2%, so we net out 3%. That's the math. You understand what I'm saying? It is my thesis it is my thesis that they have been understating the inflation figure for the past several decades, and we have been in and out of recession probably at least for the last 20 years on a quarterly basis. We've never been financially healthy, and yes, I'm including the Trump term too. But what's interesting is that the federal government came out and said we had good, solid growth in the second quarter of the year, but then there was this, huh? U.S. state and local governments just experienced the worst decline in income tax revenues ever recorded. This was the second steepest year-over-year percentage decline in history, with only the great financial crisis having a worse outcome. Note also that the federal tax receipts are also dropping again, now at recessionary levels and approaching a negative 10% on a year-over-year basis. So I ask you, you know, the government's at every level. They're going to get theirs, aren't they? Oh, yeah. They'll grab you by your ankles, turn you upside down, whether you're a corporation or you're an individual. They'll, they'll grab you by your ankles, turn you upside down, and shake every nickel they can out of your pockets. So they're getting theirs. So how, if the economy is growing, now again, I am a product of public school math. If the economy is growing, meaning there's more business activity, more money flowing around, more sales being done, things are increasing, why would tax revenues be going down? And not just a smidge, they're going down quite substantially. Somebody's lying. I'll just put it that way. You can decide who. Uh, on that front, also, another bank has failed. Did you see this on the news? I don't watch the news. I say this, I think I get kind of what is out in society through websites like Zero Hedge, but I would imagine they didn't really cover this to any great degree because I haven't seen hardly anything about it. But another decent-sized bank, Kansas Heartland Tri-State Bank, just recently failed. Now, the number of assets in the banks that have failed this year, I believe, was worse than 2008. It, it's reaching, again, great financial crisis levels on these bank failures. Back then, it was more smaller banks with less assets collapsing. Now it is more substantial banks like Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank. I believe one of the California banks also was 
just forced to sell to another bank to rescue it. So the Fed and Wall Street are now saying there will be no recession, not even a soft landing, meaning a slight recession. Now they're saying none, none whatsoever. Yet we have falling tax receipts. We've got banks still failing. And they believe they are trying to convince you that there are no consequences to our economy when it has record debt and interest rates quadruple. Does that make sense to anybody? How would your, if you were saddled with just incredible debt, you were having to borrow more every month just to pay the interest on the debt that you had before, if your interest rate on that debt quadrupled, don't you think that would be a hardship? Federal Reserve, Wall Street, and our government say, nope, everything's fine. There's actually a great deep fake out there. I can't play it. It is full of profanity. But it is with the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell basically saying, <laughs> I don't care about you people. I don't care if you lose your butts in the stock market. I don't care about anything. But it is, it is horribly profane, but it's fantastic to an economics nerd like me who understands that these, these princes uh, in the castles of Wall Street and our financial system, they don't care. They do not care about you. He wants you to believe, uh, Jerome Powell wants you to believe that inflation is coming down, that they've won the battle, but it's not even close to being over. I'm just letting you know now, I started this out with saying you can't stop the cycles of history, but you can prepare. Oil, oil is up 30% over the past few months. It's one of my few winning equity positions right now. As I shorted the stock market a couple of months ago, and it's been on a rocket ship, I've been getting prison pounded on that position, but I did also get oil. It's up 30% right now, and the bond market is breaking down. Now, this is interesting. It's not because of really of anything uh, domestic, but it's because of the decision by the Japanese Central Bank. Now, this stuff is interesting to an economics nerd like me. Not great for ratings, but this is just another shoe dropping. This could actually be very serious. I'd like to explain to you this idea of carry trade. Essentially, I'll tell you real quick, see if this makes sense to you. There's been a trade. Uh, Japan is basically still just printing a ton of money, keeping their interest rates down near zero at about half a percent. So the big banks, the masters of the financial universe, can actually go to Japan, borrow money really, really cheap, bring it back here, and then buy bonds. You know, they, they can borrow it 1% or half a percent in Japan, and then they bring that money back here. And they buy American bonds yielding 4 or 5%. There's some fees involved in this, but they're just netting out an essential you know, 3% a year. Now, 3% doesn't sound a whole, like a whole lot to you and me, but if they've just got a billion dollars sitting around, just a billion, that's $300 million a year, essentially risk-free. They just do this over and over and over again. Borrow cheap in Japan, invest in things that yield high interest here. But now Japan's letting their interest rates go up more. Money's not as cheap in Japan anymore. That blows up that trade. And if that's the case, then these Wall Streeters who have been buying our bonds might not be able to do it anymore. And if they can't and demand for the U.S. Uh, treasuries goes down, that means that interest rates are going to go up. And quite possibly up by a lot. Mortgage rates are hitting new highs now. I believe I saw that a 30-year fix right now was the highest it's been since 2000. Is that correct? I think that was the, what I saw. But anyway, mortgage rates are going up right now. So far, the markets have shrugged it off. But uh, this is going to be very interesting. And how about this? Here's a fun fact. 
Here's a fun fact for the Republicans out there who followed the Marjorie Taylor Greene and Donald Trump championing of Kevin McCarthy. You remember this, right, when he was running for Speaker of the House? One of the slimiest guys on the Republican side of the aisle, Kevin McCarthy. And you had people like, it was so disappointing, Marjorie Taylor Greene coming out and saying, come on, just vote for the guy. He promises he's changed. Donald Trump was supporting Kevin McCarthy, a true swamp creature, to be Speaker of the House. Well, Kevin McCarthy, just a couple of months ago, as a matter of fact, I think it's two months to the day now, they settled the debt ceiling deal, right? And you remember when Kevin McCarthy came out and told you as the fine stalwart of conservatism and republicanism, those fiscally responsible uh, men and women, you remember when he came out and told you this was a great deal for, for you guys? They've made concessions and they're going to get spending under control. Essentially, what actually happened was they removed any debt ceiling for the next two years. And then maybe they pinky swear in two years when it comes back, they're really going to slash some spending. Well, in the last few weeks since that deal was signed, they have added $1.8 trillion to the debt. That's since June 2nd. So many of you may be asking, well, Mike, how long did it take the United States to rack up the first $1.8 trillion in debt? Uh, it was 206 years. It took 206 years. Now, these, yeah, I'll, I'll give you, this is a little bit of sensationalism because with inflation and everything else, of course, we know borrowing has never been worse than it is now, but it did take 206 years to rack up the first $1.8 trillion. The nut jobs, the psychopaths, the degenerate, corrupt political class uh, did it now in just two months. Two months. And I guess I'm going to come back. There's an interesting thing happening in the housing market, too. I, I hope this stuff is interesting, radio. You're not getting it anywhere else. Can you take a break from us versus them, red versus blue, black versus... Can, can, we, can we take a break from that and do something different? I'm going to. When I come back, there's a very interesting thing happening in the housing market right now. And this is one of those things. I believe that I, while not really saying I'm going to give advice to anybody. It's something to pay attention to, and it may be a way for you to really knock the cover off the ball when it comes to housing if you're in a good position to take advantage of it. I'll explain what I'm talking about when I come back. Stick around. We are back. This is the Mike Madison Show, 103.9 WYAB. This show is a podcast. If you'd like to share it with somebody or catch it at a different time, you can search for the Mike Madison Show. And I'm pretty diligent about trying to get it posted on the days after it airs here at WYAB. Love to have you listening live. But if you miss it, it is there. You can just search for it on podcast platforms. Uh, th this is interesting to me. A lot of people involved in housing, either you own a house, you may need to sell a house at some point, you're considering buying a house or you're renting and you think that ultimately you do want to buy. So I think this stuff is important. And there's a very interesting thing going on with the housing market right now that I wanted to mention. I saw someone else pointed out. I didn't figure this out all on my own, but it was really very interesting because myself, I'm a renter right now. I might be able to afford a home in central Mississippi right now, but I wouldn't want to make the payments on it. 
it would cripple my fun money. I'm not going to dedicate 50%, 60%, some people, they say, are putting you know putting into just home payments now, stretching themselves to have afforded uh, these higher prices. That sounds like a real buzzkill to me. Plus, I spend uh, about 75% of the year in hotel rooms across the country anyway, so why do I need a big castle? Anyway, what I am hoping is that in a few years, when maybe I decide to not travel as much, that I can pick up something on the cheap. I'm waiting it out. I'm timing this housing market, make no mistake about it. Uh, if it's possible, we'll see. I could be wrong. There are real estate agents out there and people in the real estate business that tell me I've already missed the boat. If I don't buy now... Prices are going to go skyrocketing. Well, one of the reasons that they say that is because the housing inventory right now is very low. So when you think about the fact that interest rates have more than doubled over just the past couple of years, and I've already done the math on this, I won't rehash it, but quite obviously, if you've got a a $300,000 house and you have a 3% interest rate, or you buy it at 6%, you're 6% interest rate. You're paying a lot more for that house, Right. And so the natural, the natural market solution to that is that home prices have to come down to make them affordable again. Right now, they're completely unaffordable, particularly for our children. But they're not really coming down like you would think. They're not crashing really like I thought they might. And there's a very interesting phenomenon that I don't know we've seen quite to this degree before. The reason that house prices are not crashing right now is because a lot of people aren't selling. And it's not that they aren't selling because they think their house is going to return a lot of money to them. It's because they have these cheap, cheap mortgages. And if you're faced with selling the house that you're in, and losing your 3% mortgage because you can't take that rate with you, and you have to go buy somewhere at 6%, well, that really dissuades a lot of sellers. So there's not much inventory on the market. And that's why housing prices have not come down as substantially as I thought they would. In some of the major metropolitan areas, they are. Now, what's interesting about housing is that it can happen pretty quick because essentially once you get a few distressed sellers in a neighborhood, just think about one of your subdivisions, You get a couple of distressed sellers in your neighborhood, suddenly all of the comps for that whole neighborhood uh, start to go underwater. So it can happen pretty quick. But as of right now, everybody, no one can sell. And I say no one, it's inaccurate, but you know what I mean. Most people have got cheap mortgages, so they don't want to sell. They're not tied to the house. They're tied to that mortgage because you can't take that rate with you. Your new house is going to be at the new rate. So here's what's interesting, though, is that... uh, There's one group of people who can sell houses. They can reduce prices on houses to reflect these new interest rates, and that's home builders. So here's how this looks like it might play out. Home builders over this year, next year, maybe for the next two to three years, home builders will be the ones selling houses because, again, everybody wants to sit on their cheap mortgages. They don't want to get rid of it. Everybody's waiting for interest rates to come back down so they can sell their house and then get another cheap mortgage with the new property they're moving into. Home builders don't necessarily care. They want to move inventory. So home builders are ramping up building. As a matter of fact, home builder stocks have been doing quite well last I looked, maybe a week or two ago. So home builders will spend the next couple of years building a tremendous number of homes because the market needs homes. Most people aren't selling. But what happens, you think to yourself, and I have too, when interest rates go up, houses, house values crash. Well, that's not happening right now because, as I said, nobody's selling. 
they're sitting on these houses. There's just not a whole lot moving. Nothing like it used to, for sure. Well, if the home builders build up a ton of inventory over the next three years, then all of the demand for houses over the next two to three years is going to be people buying from these builders. What happens then when interest rates do come back down, if they do? And I question that. But should interest rates come back down, suddenly then all of the people sitting on a cheap mortgage say, oh, well, now we can sell because we can get rid of this 3% mortgage and maybe we pay 4 but that's okay. We can handle 4 We just didn't want to pay 7 all of a sudden, now you are putting your home onto the market at a time where the builders have spent two or three years building up tons of inventory. Now there's a ton of houses for sale. What happens when there are a ton of houses for sale? That is when prices can really crash. Exacerbate that by the fact if we are either now, and I believe we are, or soon in a recession where you also have a smaller group of people buying because they're losing jobs is what would have happened uh, in a typical recession. We could really see some fireworks. It's very interesting. It's a little bit like 2008. That was uh, caused by rising interest rates, people's getting into mortgages and getting adjustable rate mortgages. And when those reset, there were big problems. But So it's got a little bit to rhyme with 2008. But the ridiculously low rates that the Federal Reserve artificially created that got everybody into these 3% mortgages, and now everybody's scared to lose those things, that has created a whole new problem on the horizon for the housing market. It'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. I believe, I believe, if you're renting right now, or you're a young person right now, and you're thinking you really do want to own a home, man, hang on, hang on, just, just chill out. Rent for a couple of years and just see what happens and then cuss Mike Madison if I'm completely wrong wrong down the road. I think you're going to get steals on houses in two or three years when people can't hold on to their hope. People have got to move. People die. People have to sell Airbnbs. They have to sell. I mean, all kinds of things happen that force sales uh, if you do that into into a housing market where there's a glut of builder homes on the market too. I think there's going to be some deals to be picked up. I had warned about something. I'll tell you what, I'll take a quick break. I'll come back. I, mean, I It was like one of those five alarm warnings just a couple of weeks ago. Was it last week, two weeks ago? Time flies. I can't remember. But I should have expected the result. Obviously, not a lot of people listened to the Mike Madison show about two weeks ago when I first started talking about this one particular new trend because it looks like it's taking off like wildfire. We'll talk about it when I come back. Stick around. <music> All right, final segment for the day. I talked a couple of weeks ago about WorldCoin. WorldCoin, this thing that the creator of ChatGPT, Sam Altman, and one of his partners, these are the godfathers of AI, they started a new cryptocurrency. They're calling it WorldCoin. I read on air their website. You can go to worldcoin.org and read their mission statement or whatever. Of course, it's all designed to make the world a better place. Uh, just one little thing you have to do to get WorldCoin. You have to go to your local orb, O-R-B, orb, and have your retina scanned. Now, this is absolutely horrifying to me. And I said, there's no way in the world this should happen. And sure as hell, 
that I think it was the next day, the next day uh, you started to see posted by people on social media, and particularly Twitter, people lined up down city blocks. People lined up to get their retina scan to get there because you get some world coin just for being human. You will use this to prove online that you're human because they've got your human retina scan. This is the pathway to central bank digital currencies, to digital passports, to keeping your health records attached to your iris, to your purchases. This is a nightmare scenario. And of course, of course, people lined up down the block. And the reason is, is because you get uh, maybe a couple of free world coins uh, when you do this thing. Now, originally, that was just a couple of bucks, I believe. But as I've said, people will just... I mean, you, you, get a, you get a day where they give out a free Krispy Kreme donut. You might have to wait 45 minutes to get stand, you know, to stand in line or in your car in a line burning gasoline for 30 minutes to get yourself what was, uh, what, 42-cent donut. But just because people think it's free, they will line up for it. And people were lined up around the block to get this world coin. They are racking up retinas uh, probably as we speak. If you're interested in it, I do encourage you to look at it because I think it's almost comical. Go look at the orb. Uh, I saw that uh, some video, they will take these things to malls. So maybe they've got them in some of the malls in your local area where you can find the orb at the mall, go get your retina scanned, and get your couple of free world coins. Oh, my gosh. And what does that lead to? Saw a story about uh, traffic cams in China. Now in China, they have, uh, I noticed uh, I'm in Louisiana, and they've, they've still got my GPS warned me that there was a red light camera coming up. And I was, the girl I was with, I said, oh my gosh, you people still have these things? God love the people of Mississippi. The people of Mississippi stood up against the red light cameras. Good for you. You know, these are the things where if you have a rolling stop at 2 a.m. with not another car in sight, but you do a rolling right turn uh, through a red light, it just sends you out a ticket. And the people of Mississippi stood up against that. Apparently, the people of Louisiana are absolutely fine with being tracked, traced, monitored, and fined for something that never was a threat to public safety in the first place. But anyway, in China, they've taken that up a notch, and this is along the lines of this world coin and central bank digital currencies. Uh, in China, your CBDC, their central bank digital currency, is linked to your digital ID. And if you drive too fast in China, the speed camera system will immediately deduct your driver's license points before automatically deducting a fine from your digital wallet. I'm looking at a thing. Uh, there's one of these booths here where it's just basically just racking up fines. The speed limit is something absurdly low. 20 kilometers an hour. Looks like a pretty big road. So you can just think how this will be abused. But it's bad enough that they can take pictures of you here in Louisiana and then send you out a ticket. And if you don't pay it, uh, they'll send law enforcement. They'll issue a warrant for your arrest because a red light camera said you did something wrong. They will come and put you into a kidnap you and put you into a cage for not paying it. Uh, in China, they've done away with all that. They just immediately start taking your money straight out of your bank account because it's all linked together. Now, I wanted to play this way to end the show out today. 
this is great. The rest of the world is catching up. Uh, I'll have to do a show next week about Russia's standing in the world right now. It's fascinating to watch. People are flocking to Russia and leaving the U.S. Here's what uh, one African leader had to say uh, about the United States and being reliant on the dollar. And I'm sorry I can't show you the smirk on uh, Vladimir Putin's face while he listens. Money. They are not manufacturing anything at all. It's printing money. And this has been one of their weapons globally. The monetary system, the global monetary system, controlled by dollar and euro, has been used. Sanctions here, sanctions there, sanctions there, grabbing this uh, account, grabbing that account, has been one of their tools. This is not going to continue indefinitely. So there you go. I know hard to hear with the accent. He said they're just printing money. And then they use these dollars as weapons, sanctions here, sanctions there, sanctions everywhere. They just go in and snatch accounts. They're talking about the U.S. federal government and how we've treated the rest of the world if they didn't go along with our way of life. Or not our way of life, but our, our elite's way of thinking. They had to kowtow to the financial masters in the United States. They've had enough of it. They're turning to Russia, and Russia is welcoming them with open arms. More about that next week. All the time I got for today. Got to go. See you next week. Bye-bye. Here comes the war. Ready or not. Here comes the war. Here comes the war.